Welcome to episode 29 of Untangled Faith. Last fall, I sat down and recorded a conversation with author and former pastor, Remy Diedrich. We talked about legalism, toxic faith, and his five-year break from being in a physical church. I can't wait to hear what you think. You don't know what is legalistic. You're just trying to find new tracks to run on. After about two years, we finally said, I just think that, that God is telling us to to heal, you kind of detox, get a, get away from it all, yeah. and get a fresh perspective. Okay. Yeah, well, I guess I guess you could call it a spiritual discipline, but it, it may not to your listeners, and that is to do nothing. That's, that's fascinating. Ch- yeah, that's a challenge. That was the challenge that I wrestled with the whole five years. This is Amy Fritz, and you're listening to Untangled Faith, a podcast for anyone who has found themselves confused or disillusioned in their faith journey. If you want to hold on to your faith while untangling it from all the things that are not good and true, this is the place for you. Several months ago now, I received an email from Remy Diedrich mentioning a book that he had written and asking if I would be interested in talking about his book and having him on the podcast. Due to my own <laughs> calendar errors and and life in general, it took a while to get it together, but I was able to read the book and he was right. This is content that I was sure my listeners would be interested in. Remy Diedrich wrote the book, Broken Trust, A Practical Guide to Identify and Recover from Toxic Faith, toxic church, and spiritual abuse. We had a conversation about his book and his faith experience, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you today. I would love to start out with just you telling a brief cliff note summary of your story. I read your book. I I highlighted a lot of it and underlined a lot of it, but I'd love for you to tell what made you passionate about spiritual abuse and toxic faith communities. My, my spiritual story is I grew up Catholic, which didn't mean a lot to me, as is often the case with people. And I came to faith in college, and I had a really good experience with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, the campus group. And so they grounded me in some unlegalistic spiritual disciplines that I really appreciate and I, and I always look back on very fondly. I also joined a charismatic church at the time. And that was probably the good and the bad. The good was the thing I like about charismatic churches is that there's a sense of expectation, like God can do anything at any time. As a new believer, that was really exciting to me. But as I look back, I think there was a lot of legalism there as well that I wasn't aware of. That's often the case when you're new to faith, you don't know what is legalistic. You're just trying to find new tracks to run on. And so actually you're a new believer I think that's one of the ways we get sucked into a toxic faith is, oh, they're going to tell us how to live this spiritual life. Great. But after a while, you realize, oh, they really legislated it. They made it a legal thing. And that's what was bad. So I I was a part of this charismatic church that blew up. One of the pastors was found exposed in a number of extramarital affairs. And so that church went to the four winds and out of that came a small church uh, that I was a part of. And that's where I really got my feet 
my first few steps in the ministry. I was like a part-time pastor that I just raised up organically as a pastor there. And at first that was great, but then the pastor there got really legalistic again. And I think he, he became paranoid because mm-hmm. eventually he, he had a couple visions. This is where the abuse came in. One vision was he said that a storm was going to hit the church. And if anyone left the church, they were making themselves um, vulnerable to attack of the, the enemy, which is a really scary way to yeah. ever talk about. <laughs> and then the other um, vision that he had was he said that he was on a road, like on a freeway, trying to get off the freeway. And he, he couldn't get off the freeway because there was a guy in a truck who was preventing him. And that person was me. Wow. <laughs> He told me that and I go, okay. And I was just trying to chew on that. Note to self and anyone else listening, sometimes it's a red flag when a leader claims they have had a vision. And by the end of the week on Sunday, he preached about those two visions. He didn't talk about me, but he talked to the whole church about these two visions. And I just pulled him aside. We just had two other elders at the time and we pulled him aside and said, you can't say things like that. That's very abusive. And we had this long drawn out meeting and he, it basically came down to, he says, well, either agree with me or leave. And I was like, wow, wow. I I had been there for seven years and I thought we were family and it was like getting kicked out of your family. And I said, I don't want to leave, but if you put it like that, if I either have to agree with you or leave, I I guess I have to leave. Yeah. And so I left and, and that's where I think I share so much in common with everyone who's been spiritually abused. Because when you experience that rejection and like I, and that, that broken trust, that's the name of my book is broken trust for that reason. When your trust is broken like that, it reaches you at a level that you probably didn't even realize you could be reached. Yeah. I remember listening to a worship song a few months later, I'd led worship at that time in the church. And I was listening to a song that we had led in worship and I just started weeping because I realized that I had lost my whole spiritual family, my wife and I were all alone. That's where it all started, the, mm-hmm. the abuse that I experienced. And then as when I became a, a full-time pastor, I started a church through the years. And so many people came into our church, beat up and abused for the same reason. They went to church because they were trying to know God. Yeah, That trust that they put in their leadership was broken. Eventually, there was a church down the road from us. In, in Wisconsin that where the pastor went off the rails and was very abusive. And so I wrote a number of blog posts, just hoping that the people down the road would read them, which they did. I was just trying to give them some counsel, what to do yeah, practically. Yeah. I, I realized that over, over the course of the year, and it's still true today. So this is probably seven, eight years later, that those are the most read blog posts on my blog ever. So people all around the world were reading these blog posts about toxic faith and spiritual abuse. And they went, oh, this is, this is not an isolated thing. Yeah. Yeah. Someone asked, like, what made you interested in spiritual abuse? And I said, I think it's like a lot of people, nobody finds it because they think it looks like something that would really be fun (laughs) to learn about. You sort of trip into it because of your own experience. And that was my experience in writing about it. And then I thought, because so many people were reading the blog, I had already written five books and I thought I was done at the time. I kind of wrote what I wanted to write about. And I thought, I don't know, maybe God wants me to write a, another book. I looked up on Amazon if those if books about spiritual abuse were, were selling. I thought, I don't want to write a book that no one's buying. 
at the time, six, seven years ago, they weren't that popular. And I thought, oh, I really don't want to write a book that no one's going to read. But I just felt so compelled to write the book. Yeah. I wrote it anyways, because I, I thought if this only reaches the handful of people that I know who are struggling with abuse, then it's worth, I'm not going to write it just for them. And I wrote it and surprisingly, it's been really well accepted and recommended by quite a bit by people. That is so great. And now even the last couple of years, we have so many new books that have come out. There's a lot of interest. Yeah. In the last three years, it's now it's probably quadrupled what there were a few years ago. It's sort of a mixed thing. If you see sometimes people when they are writing there, it makes them nervous if a lot of people are writing in that space. But I'd say if they are, that means there's interest. If people are interested in something, they will buy all the books about that. Exactly. They'll listen to all the podcasts on that. I had read in your book, you said you spent some time away from organized religion or the organized church. Tell me about how that worked. How long was that? What was it like for you? Yeah. Well, it lasted five years. And I certainly, when I went into it, I didn't expect it to be five years. Yeah, that's a long time. My wife and I, we love the church. And so we tried to go back to church right away and we just couldn't do it. It, Mm -hmm. Every church service we went to seemed really trite, a cliche. It, It just, it didn't have meaning. And so we'd take a little time away and then maybe six months would go by and we'd go back again and try again. And the same thing was true. And after about two years, we finally said, I just think that that God is telling us to, to heal, kind of detox, get, get away from it all and get a fresh perspective and then re-enter it. And so that's what we did at that time. We we had some friends who were really interested in living in community. And so three couples, my wife and myself and two other couples, we bought a farm. I mean, kind of a, play in itself, but we bought a farm in Wisconsin, moved from Minnesota to Wisconsin, bought a farm and lived there for seven years in community. And the first five years, we didn't go to church. At one point in my life, hearing someone talk about taking five years away from a physical church would have caused me to doubt that person's faith, but not anymore. These days, when I hear something like this, I want to hear their story. I can also relate so much to finding how hard it is to slowly work through a painful situation and not just jump back in because it feels like it's the right thing to do. Part of that was a freeing experience Yeah, because I didn't have people telling me how I needed to live my faith, but part of it was kind of scary and guilt uh, inducing because I had been so indoctrinated that I had to be in church and I had to read the Bible that I I was always questioning myself yeah. if I was doing the right thing. So yeah, Did you have children? Yeah, we had three kids. So your kids weren't in church either? No, no. I mean, we talked about Jesus and we read the Bible at home to them and stuff, but we didn't take them to church. So that was hard. But I, th- I think the thing that finally let me take a breath in all that is I, I started to read, or at least think about Abraham. And I thought, you know, Abraham didn't have a church. And Abraham didn't even have a Bible. Yeah. Abraham just had a relationship with God. And he seemed to do quite well. In fact, we refer to him as the father of faith. Don't get me wrong. I was a pastor for 30 years, so I love the church. But for those five years, I felt called into that place without church. I guess it's how you define church. I had fellowship. We were in community with other Christians on our our farm. And we had other Christian friends. We weren't out on our own. But as far as the institution itself, no, we, we took 
time off from that. And like I said, it was guilt inducing, but it was also freeing. And I think it did give us the detox, the spiritual detox that we needed at the time. Yeah. I didn't ask you this. So if you don't have an answer for this, I understand. (laughs) I'm going to spring this on you. I have heard people push back against people that are not in a physical church right now, using the Bible verse about not neglecting meeting together. And I'm curious, did you hear that? Or what are your thoughts about that? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the typical reply. My thoughts are, I agree that we shouldn't abandon meeting together. We shouldn't neglect meeting together. But this was a special case. I often would think about it like marriage. Husbands and wives should come together. They should be together. They should talk and experience life together. But when there's abuse in that relationship, there needs to be a separation. Mm-hmm. There that's needs a great to be- point. Yeah, there needs to be a time away to either heal and come back together after uh, a new perspective is gained on both parties' part, or they need to uh, move on. And so I think it's very true in any situation, including the church. Yeah, absolutely. If you're a Christian, you should be gathering with other believers, but if not if it's a, an abusive situation and not if you're thinking your theology and your thinking about church is distorted and mine had been distorted by the church. So I needed to get out on my own to rethink it. I know what people have told me, but I was a naive Christian and Mm -hmm. I just absorbed everything they told me. Now that I'm older, I need to rethink this and get some other perspectives. This point from Remy is so important. The way he relates an experience in an unhealthy church to an unhealthy, abusive relationship is so powerful. Often those coming out of abusive relationships are counseled to take time before jumping into new a new relationship. It only makes sense that we would caution people the same way in regard to faith communities. It's easy to go on autopilot when you're just checking off the boxes and going every week. And yeah. just being there doesn't mean that you're following Jesus. So there is something you have to be more intentional with when you are not relying on uh, a pastor and you're not relying on an institution, you actually have to own it. So I think that's a really interesting. Yeah. I mean, again, using maybe a family analogy, if if you have two kids and, and one kid shows up to dinner every night and he's always in the house and always talk, always talking to you, but you can tell that he's not really connecting with you. He's just kind of going through the motions and you have another kid who's who's living with an aunt and uncle, and they communicate with you, but they just can't be in the family right now, uh, which would you rather have? Well, I'd rather have the child who's truly communicating me with me, even though they're not in the house and doing yeah. what is expected in that family. Yeah. Hopefully, they'll come back into, they'll be able to come back into the family at some point. So talk to me about toxic faith. What is toxic faith? Is it common? And if it is, why? What is it that draws us to this? Put simply, I would say that toxic faith is where you believe that God accepts you and he loves you, but based on your performance. Mm. And so if you keep the rules, he'll bless you. He loves you. You belong. If you don't keep the rules, he's against you. He's going to punish you and he's Mm. going to be disappointed in you. And so that's that's the simple view that when I think of toxic faith and is it prevalent? <laughs> oh yeah, it's really prevalent. Once you see it, you know, it's kind of what people say you can't unsee it. I think it, it really takes some 
purposefulness mm. to try to sift out the toxic legalistic thinking from what you've been taught as a new believer. Yeah. I don't think anybody goes looking for a faith community and says, you know what? I think I'm going to pick a toxic <laughs> community. When we talk about toxic faith and toxic faith communities, how do people recognize it as such? Because it, there's so many things that are going on in a church. And when you are even new to a place, it's really hard to recognize what's good and what isn't and knowing that there is no perfect place. So talk to me about that. What are your thoughts on that? How do you know if this community is a toxic faith community? Yeah. And you said something about, it sounded like workspace is, is something that's a huge red flag. There's this there, wherever you go, there's always a sense of expectation. Hmm. There's a, there's a, and whether sometimes it's, it's very obvious and sometimes it's very subtle. The obvious things are the things, well, everyone should read their Bible every morning for an hour, or everyone should pray. If you're a really good Christian, you should be at church whenever the doors are open. And those, those are the kind of typical things. Mm-hmm. But then there's all the subtle innuendo that, that happens all the time where people are communicating just sometimes by their looks. When you don't say it the right way, or mm-hmm. you say something and you know, just by their look, the way they look at you, like, oh. Well, that's not the way we do it around here, you know, right? Mm-hmm. Expectations are woven into every part of, of your experience. Yeah. It was sort yeah. of a a mind-blowing thing for me to realize that it's not just an individual that can be unhealthy, that an entire system can be. And so starting to understand that really helped me in processing spiritual abuse leaving the place where your, your pastor was, that was so unhealthy. There is probably him just leaving would not have completely solved the whole problem. Cause in some ways there's a system that had overlooked some things or was okay with certain things. And it's hard when you can't just say, all right, we're going to fix this one person. It's a whole systemic. Yeah. And that's why it's so hard. Once a church has become toxic and abusive, it's hard to undo that because it is so entwined. You had asked about how does someone know if they're in a toxic community? Yeah. I talked about expectations, but in in addition to the expectations, you you hear those expectations often through the sermons, of course. And I just heard so many people say, I just hate to go to church because I feel like I'm getting beat up all the time. I'm always being told what I shouldn't do. And so it's that's a part of the tone of the church. They're very focused on what you do and what you don't do. You know, it's that whole expectations. And there's this pressure to perform, to live up to those expectations. There also, people seem to be watching you. You get mm-hmm. this creepy feeling that people are watching you and talking about you. Because they'll say things like, I was talking to Susie the other day, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute, why Why were you talking about me with Susie the other day? And we really, we were praying, <laughs> and they always have to put that, they'll, they'll put it in a, in a spiritual box. We were praying uh, for you, and this is what we thought. We were really concerned, and it's like, okay, this is starting to feel really creepy. Yeah, that sounds so familiar to me. I had an experience in a church that we were at. I 
I volunteered in the ministry area and I had realized that I needed to step back. And I had told the ministry leader that I wasn't going to be able to serve anymore. And I was going to come to this last meeting with the committee and tell them they knew this and they shared a devotional about how faithful people don't quit. (laughs) It was the craziest thing to be like, oh my word, she is talking about me. And I also had the same feeling like I was being watched. Am I signing up for things? Am I not signing up for things? It was a horrible, horrible feeling. Adding to that list of what are some signs of toxic faith, there's usually not a lot of joy, at least true joy. Mm -hmm. There might be plastic smiles, but not true joy, not a sense of freedom. And there's just a culture of fear when people are are afraid. I heard this, I was listening to your podcast about your experience and uh, just that sense that maybe we're not doing it right. Mm. And maybe they're going to catch me doing something wrong. And maybe I'm going to get reprimanded for somehow. That's just toxic. That shouldn't ever be in a church where you're living under that sense of condemnation and Mm -hmm. punishment. Yeah. You talk about church PTSD in chapter 14. Mm -hmm. I think that is fascinating. I actually had written about it on a blog several years ago, probably 2017-ish after we left a church. And I had a friend write me a letter and tell me how wrong it was for me to call it that and how dishonoring it was to people that were veterans. And I wasn't sure how to respond. You can't talk somebody into understanding something that they don't understand, but I would love for you to explain like. Well, I I didn't spend a lot of time on it. I was just trying to let people know uh, to alert people to the fact that there, that spiritual abuse can be so hurtful that it can actually be traumatic. You can suffer from PTSD. So I wanted to put that on people's radar so they would check that out. And then I went on to talk about uh, some other things. In the last few years, people have realized that PTSD isn't just restricted to people in the military service, but it happens all the time. Certainly it happens in abusive situations, whether that's domestic abuse or spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, whatever the abuse situation is, it's it's when I think when your sensors are overwhelmed with hurt and yeah. it, it does something to people that takes you to a, a totally different level. And it's so important for us to understand that about ourselves. If we suffer from it, or if we as are a part of a community and we find someone like that, we have to really give them extra grace because typically we will share a couple of Bible verses and, and tell them how they can get fixed, which isn't great. But someone yeah. who has PTSD from spiritual abuse It's a long road for them to work through, and you can't give them just simplistic answers because there's some deep healing that needs to take place. Yeah, I've been seeing a counselor this year, and it is the best investment. I I look forward to it. I mean, it's been hard, but really, really good. And just to take this seriously, that it's going to take some processing to work through all the things. People tend to do a couple of wrong things. One is when they're hurt so deeply, they'll just walk away and they just don't want to deal with this anymore. So I'm just mm-hmm. out of this. I'm done. I'm done with the church. I'm done with God. I'm done with everything. Or they'll cover over it with religiosity and mm-hmm. they'll just fake it, hoping that they'll make it. And that doesn't work either. So you, you got to do the deep work if you want to 
be whole. If you're taking notes, write this one down. You need to do the deep work if you want to be whole. Tell me about how you found community when you were not in a church building. Like I said, we lived literally in community with other believers. And eventually we came back into a church after five years into it. We kept meeting people. We kept meeting people from a certain church in town that we really liked. And we thought, well, it's been five years. Maybe we should give church another chance. We were starting to meet so many people. So we came back into it. But in the meantime, I remember there was one couple I've totally lost track of them, but they meant so much to us. So in the throes of this uh, five-year sabbatical, so we were feeling very isolated. Mm. And we met a a couple that was very similar to us, same age, kids, same age. And they befriended us. And they were Christians. And they invited us over. And they just treated us like royalty. And it was so nice. Mm. So I, I guess that's one of the ways we really saw the hand of God just bringing people to us in our time. I I wrote another book about exile and and I kind of used my, these five years as my example of being in an exile, a time where I was cut off from church and cut off from the typical community that I had. And one of the points I make in that book is that God always, at least in my experience, God would always send individuals into our life to be Jesus to us in the moment, even though we were in exile, even though we were isolated at the time. Were they willing to be your friends, even if you didn't join their church? They were. (laughs) That was nice. And that's what you need. I mean, you you need those people who say, you don't have to perform for me. You don't even have to be a Christian. And that's I like what you said about trying out or doing different spiritual disciplines that maybe don't have the baggage that your unhealthy past experiences have. Talk to me about if a person is feeling like, a lot of baggage around the read your Bible every day, read through the Bible in a year, check that off mm-hmm. system. What different ways and different spiritual disciplines have you seen or would you recommend for somebody that's just like, I can't do the thing? It just brings me back to those bad, hurtful feelings. Yeah. Well, or the performance know. thing again, where they're like feeling like they have to earn. Something. Yeah. I guess I guess you could call it a spiritual discipline, but it, it may not to your listeners, and that is to do nothing. That's, that's fascinating. Ch- yeah, that's a challenge. That was the challenge that I wrestled with the whole five years, because I I go Remy, you should really be going to church, and that's why I said initially we, we we would go back to church every six months, and finally I gave myself permission to not, and then but I felt the same way about reading the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's like Remy, you should really be reading the Bible. Good Christians read the Bible, and that's what it, you know that. And so I'd try to read the Bible, but it was like reading the phone book. It used to be so meaningful and it just lost it all. And I thought, okay, God, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not even going to read the Bible. And I just trust that you're going to do something in me that someday I'm going to be able to read the Bible and it's going to come to life. And I'm going to be able to go to church and it's going to be meaningful. And so it was a step of faith to do nothing. Some people might not see it that way. Some people might accuse me of just being a heretic, but I really felt that's what God was calling me to do. And that's exactly what happened. About four years into it, I started reading the Bible because I kept trying every once in a while. I read the Bible and it was just like someone turned on a bright light and turned up the volume and it came to life. Mm. And uh, it 
God just gave me new eyes. That was really starting at the beginning, I think, of my teaching ministry because I just started to see things in a way that I never had before. And eventually, by the end of the year, I was back in church and I was teaching and it was profound. I think God proved that I was right in stopping those things. Yeah. And that's actually a really huge step of faith too, because you're saying, okay, I guess my relationship with God, I I guess I'm really going to work out and live like I believe my relationship with God does not depend on what I'm doing and how I'm performing. That's scary. It was, but it's, it was life-changing for me. It gave me the freedom that I needed. And it gave me the freedom that I could then turn around and preach to other people that could in turn find their own freedom. So that's been really exciting. So how how was your wife's journey alongside you during this? Were you pretty much in the same place at the same time? Thankfully, it has been. We are often, if not always, walking the same path. I, I, I know that's not always true for a lot of couples, but for us, it has been. Even recently, I just retired. And I was just telling the other day, I said, I kind of feel like I did way back on the farm. And I don't really want to go to church for a while Hmm. because I think I need to reset. I need to not necessarily detox like I did before, but I need to get a new perspective. I don't want to just fall back into what I was doing because that's what I was doing for the last 30 years. Hmm. I want to give God a chance to speak to me in a fresh way. And she said, you know, I feel the same way. I'm going to go to church this Sunday. We'll be going Mm -hmm. to churches, but I don't know if we're just going to land in a church right away out of obligation because, well, you got to go to church, Remy. Yeah. Yeah. We just want to, we want to as a leading of the spirit and not just out of a sense of obligation. Yeah. Since the beginning of this fall, we found ourselves like we're not connected to a church. We kind of felt like we outgrew or the church outgrew us or we outgrew it. Sure. We didn't feel like we're the target audience. No, that sounds like really corporate-y, but there's so much about the American evangelical church, particularly the white American evangelical church. It's very uh, corporate-like. I feel like even if churches don't have like a picture hanging on the wall of their target demographic, (laughs) somehow metaphorically they do. And I was feeling like I did not matter and I was invisible if I wasn't serving. Mm. And it was just a hard feeling. So we started watching uh, another church's services online for a while because COVID had spiked pretty significantly when the kids went back to school in August. All, our, all of our hospitals were full and everybody knew somebody that was in ICU. And so it was a good time just to be at home anyways, but it still felt so much like, are we sure we're doing the right thing? Is this okay? Do we actually have permission to right. not be in a building just last week for the first time since like sometime in September, we actually were inside a church building and it was a completely different denomination than we had ever been in before. And it, because of that, it didn't have the same baggage and same feel that we had before. That was like really an interesting thing to do something completely different, but I still am finding myself having to hold back from contacting them. And should I sign up for something? (laughs) Should I volunteer for something? Like I've showed up one time and I'm feeling like, what should I do? I want to ask you as a pastor, Mm -hmm. it's hard for anybody to be humble and, and introspective. How would you encourage other pastors to recognize 
when their own leadership and community has become abusive or unhealthy? A couple things come to mind. One is if you feel like you're always having to turn up the pressure to get the results that you want out of the people, it's probably a toxic environment. People probably feel beat up if you're always asking more of them. And I hear pastors, being a pastor, I hear pastors who are disgruntled with their congregation because they aren't giving enough or they aren't serving enough. And it's like, maybe you're talking about it in the wrong way. Maybe you're demanding it. Maybe you're expecting it. Maybe you're implying that they're not good Christians if they don't show up. And that works in the short run. But over time, people just start voting with their feet and they start walking. Check the toxic toxicity level in your church, because you might be conveying a legalism that is turning people off. Mm. And you, some, so many, especially in the evangelical church, obedience and submission are, are pounded so hard that pastors think that if they just preach on obedience and submission enough, and because that's what the Bible says, you got to do this, that people will suddenly you know, get inspired and go, oh my gosh, I, how could I be so wrong? You're right. I have to obey more. I have to submit and do what you want. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. So I think that's one thing to look for. And also I, I talked about the joy before, if people aren't showing up with joy and if it feels like people are just kind of, well, okay, I guess I'll go. If, if there's that sense of obligation, again, you might want to check your toxicity level. If you're talking to a pastor, same sort of situation, they're thinking, I don't know, we've had some conflict at church. We've had some issues. Who would you recommend that they talk to, to get like some real honest feedback about what's happening? Let's say a pastor is is realizing that there's people maybe leaving their church and there's some issues. They feel like there's some conflicts that are happening maybe and they really want to solve the problem. They really want to figure out what the deal is. Who would that pastor talk to, to get some honest feedback? If the pastor's like, okay, I think something's wrong. I want it to be better. Who would be the person that they could get some real honest feedback from? Usually uh, there's third parties. I mean, that, that are kind of in the know who really know what's going on in the church that they could talk to like a, f- a friend that they yeah. could say, Hey, well, Bob, I'm just not getting a good vibe here. Am I coming across wrong or is is there something I should know that maybe people haven't been telling me? So that's that's one thing, that third party. Or I'm kind of a straight shooter. So I just I would just put individuals that I felt were put off for some mm-hmm. reason. And hey, you know, this is what I'm seeing and this is what I'm I'm just wondering, is there something of, and I would pose it like me, not yeah. not not there's something wrong with you, but is there something that I'm doing that's putting people off? Because I'm just not getting the the results that I was hoping for. That seems too simple that if somebody to just go talk to somebody that maybe somebody that has recently decided to leave or that is frustrated, it sounds like real simplistic, but honestly, if you go to somebody in good faith and say, I'm not trying to convince you of anything, what is one thing I could do better? Or we could do better. The hard thing is if you if you are a toxic pastor, you're probably not going to do that. You probably so, are. No. Um, but there is hope. There is a, a, a mutual uh, acquaintance that I have that was a part of a, 
toxic church and he was fully a part of the toxicity and just within the course of the last year he's seen the light and he's walked away from it all and he's a totally different person he may not know this but he's given me a lot of hope because i I tend to like i just said once you're toxic and abusive like that it's very unlikely that you're gonna have a radical change but yeah god can change people's hearts and that gives me hope if we believe in an all-powerful god then we have to believe that right. God can like redeem any situation or any person. If you were able to sit in a room with several families that were just that limped out of a church and were just trying to heal, what would you say to them? One, I would say, get like I did with myself, tell them to give themselves permission to not go to church, to not do anything and just let God love them, to just be a believer without any expectations whatsoever. And like we talked about, that would be hard. They would probably have to struggle through that thought at first. If they could believe that, I think they'd be surprised how freeing it is. And that's really what will enable them to eventually come back. Mm-hmm. You know, If they come back to church and start doing all the spiritual disciplines out of a sense of obligation, they really haven't gained anything. They're or even if they carry that thinking with them to another church, they still have toxic thinking. And what I often would tell people when they came to our church, and if they told me about uh, a bad experience that they had at another church, which was very common, Mm -hmm. I would say, I have no expectations for you whatsoever. (laughs) Okay. Mm -hmm. So I would tell these people, your listeners, I would say, find a church where you can just go and feel free to sit in the back row and not engage at all. And you might even want to talk to the pastor about that. Because like I said, when I would tell people, sit in the back row, don't engage, because I understand you just came out of uh, a very hard situation. In fact, I would tell people, I'm surprised that you're even here. Mm -hmm. Based on the story you just told me, uh, I took five years away from church. The fact that you're trying to get back involved in church this soon I think it's very noble of you, but, but it may be premature. Mm-hmm. So I think they, if they go to church, they should find a church that really gives them the freedom to just be and not put any expectations on them. Like I said at the beginning of my conversation with Remy, I underlined and highlighted much of this book, and I took some time to flip through it again as I was editing this episode. It can be easy to read something or listen to something, remark on how impactful it was and then move along without internalizing what we've learned. And I don't want to do that with this process. I'm not sure what your takeaway is, but it's my hope that there is something you can proactively take with you from this conversation. If you're interested in going deeper, check out Remy's book, Broken Trust, a practical guide to identify and recover from toxic faith, toxic church, and spiritual abuse. Thanks for listening. This podcast is made possible by support from the Untangled Faith membership community on Patreon. For more information, visit patreon.com slash untangledfaith. For just a few bucks a month, you can support the show and have access to members-only benefits like a private chat community and bonus audio. Another thing you can do if you enjoy this podcast is to share a link to your favorite episode with a friend. That is the most powerful way that this show has grown. I have started interviews and planning for season four, and my plan is to drop that season on February 9th. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook as Untangled Faith and as Faith Untangled on Twitter. See you soon.